another week in the books. We back again in the saddle. I am Spike Lou. You know why you here. Mo, what up? What up? I'm Maurice Hunter third. Absolutely. So I'm coming up on my birthday in November. And I went to go take golf lessons yesterday. And when I tell you the whites have been trying to hide and keep golf from us, man. <laughs> oh, it's expensive. Oh, it's so hard. It's not expensive. As I mean, you can find uh, cost-effective options like Groupon got courses you can go to where you can go play around the golf for $18. Really? So you rent a cart for $10. So you're talking about $30 for three hours of entertainment. So a lot of people think it's expensive or it's so hard to do. Yeah, yeah. I took lessons yesterday. It's my first lesson I've taken. It was 60 bucks. She spent 30 minutes with me. She got my grip right. She got my swing right. She recorded it. She's going to send me the rec- recording of what to practice on in my swing and my backswing and shit. So we're talking about a, a bear of entry of what, maybe 200 bucks if you want to be effective. You think that's too much or what? Uh, I guess it comes 200 as far as lessons, right? So I guess it. I well, guess I'm it, saying lessons buying you a like you can get a set of club for a hundred dollars on Amazon. Oh, you Not mean the, like the, oh, the greatest like, set? But you could be ready to go play golf for two hundred dollars. People oh, no, think it's I, a lot more than that. No, no, I'm here for it. I think uh, it's a uh, you know people our age um, and we there's a little distance there, but like we ain't about to. Yeah, I mean, well, I ain't gonna say we, but some of us ain't about to get out there and get on the court. Like I'm mm-hmm. not about to pick up a basketball and get back hooping my knees. No, no more. My hamstring, nigga. We just played kickball with my family last weekend. Right. We never did this before. Like, Mm -hmm. grown-ups. Like, and my wife and my dad's wife, they put this thing together. I was like, yo, we should do this kickball. They put it together for a few weeks, and then we was like, all right, we'll throw some stuff on the grill. We'll get the kickball going. So we get there. My sister pulls up. Uh, We got the, you know, the kids, and uh, then eventually her son pulled up and stuff. So we didn't really even have enough people for it. Like we had like probably four on four. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so you can't really cover. You had a pretty big family. I'm thinking y'all like the Brady bunch out there. Ah, nah, bro. It was super like (laughs) we so we went up to like a. Speaking of like the whites, we went up to like one of those like nice locations where uh, it's predominantly white people there. It's, It's an area called Broad Ripple. And mm-hmm. so they have a little park that's ducked off and there's a field that's actually set up like a baseball field for bases. So, right. and then there's a little playground. So it was like the perfect setup. Me and my wife, we, we hike all the time. I mean, we, well, we go on trails all the time. So we knew about this location. And so that's where we set it up. And so we were playing kickball and you know, we, we had to get them. Like it was men versus women. We had to, ah, we had to, easy. it's easy work. Yeah. We I, had to I, like, they, I was like, I wasn't going light. And then on top of that, like, my wife had been saying, because she used to run track back in the day. Uh-huh. She, she, I beat her in racing some years ago. Ah, and so, never let her live that down. Oh, well, she, she keep, kept making excuses about it. Like, I was like, oh, it's because of this. I'm like, all right, okay, cool. And then every time we got a chance to, I will trail. She's like, you want to race me to the car? I'm like, you don't want to do that. And so then she's like, ah, oh, never mind. So finally, this day, we ran and I dusted her ass, bro. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Twice. She's like, ah, oh, nah, you tried to, you tried to cheat. I said, okay, because I'm not a person. I don't cheat. I want to win fair and square. Yeah. I like the real credit. So we ran, we did it again. Man, I hit them dusters so crazy, dude. And I'm not even like crazy fast, but I still got some. I can still get up like black people can. You know. What I mean? <laughs> so we what, was your what, wife a sprinter? Like, what was what was her? I think 
But do, was it? Long I think she was both. Actually, yeah, she was a sprinter. Okay, she was a sprinter. Her friend was a uh, more of a. Uh, I don't know, was it I'm not marathon, but whatever you do when you long do like, distance, just long, long distance. distance. Um, but anyway, I said all that to say I'm here for the golf because uh that next day, actually the end of that night, like my hamstring was jacked, my ankle was jacked, <laughs> and my elbow. I ran around the bases and I came to home base and I was trying to slow down. And when I tried to slow down, it had like a tarp down. Mm. Nigga, I slipped and rolled, bro freaking road i'm like i am too old for this like i'm like doo, 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 the whole world spinning and shit i'm like one of the one of the most saddening days <laughs> as a man a black man especially is when you out there playing pickup and you realize it's over oh like, my it's God. a certain move that you make that you used to be able to do or you just it's a young nigga getting by you and you can't do nothing like you just, you just realize this last time i'm hooping bro like i'm done Dog. I, I, am <laughs> Dog, I tried to hoop my this. cousin in some, some years ago. It still yeah. looked good, but it was airballing every time. Yeah, like, it's it like good. I ain't got this no more. And that's what golf is, though. That's what yeah. golf golf is the next step. Yes. Us as black men just got to take more of just take it up. Like it's just the next step that you can still be competitive. You can mm-hmm. still just, you know, have that same type of, well, not same type of energy, but a similar energy. If you like to compete, go out there and compete with your homeboys two, three hours, drive around the course or whatnot. So I'm. I look forward to this journey. I definitely look forward to this. Do you do you throw bowling in that same bag of like, I don't know the aging. I know y'all y'all kind of call it like the washed. Yeah, you know, what I'm saying kind of like the old man washed bag or whatever. Like, you know, bowling always has been more like of a social thing for me. Just like I ain't. uh, I've (laughs) it's low down to say, but I've always looked at people that took bowling serious as like. Like, I just, like what, bro? Like this, like we just here to eat and like have okay. fun and be cool. But with that being said, like I had some homeboys growing up, they took that shit serious. Like niggas had balls and everything. Like they Man. would be like, "Hey, where you at, bro? I'm dying to bowling that." Like you for real? It's three o'clock on a Tuesday, bro. Like you at the bowling that? Yeah, just practicing. I, I know niggas really? like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've never met a person like not a not a black person that that has been. Serious, like I'm always interested, like, mm-hmm. and I know we going like all the way into the sport thing, but why not? Uh, but like some people that have shoes, like people that skate, like, yeah, I, I like always find it on skates. Yeah, I, I think it's just intriguing when people are <laughs> into different shit. Like we were talking about somebody from another podcast, but like I think it's just dope when people are into different shit where they invest in it by getting the product to go along with the yeah and be the all activity. the way linked in. Yeah, like you was talking about with the golf clubs. That's why I was like, no, nah, I'm not mad at it. Like that show, that show stick. Then I'm, stick I'm here it. for it. I'm like, here for it. The bowling one gets me, and the cycling. Pool? When you see the niggas with the tights and they got the whole cycling oh, fit on, they got the cleats. Oh, oh have yeah. you seen that? Yeah, it's real big now here. Hey, yeah, always like you couldn't just get on a bike, bro. Like you got the you got the shades. They always got, got the same everything shades, on. You got the, the aerodynamic helmet on. Man, like man. nuts out here. Yeah. <clears throat> But it's been a crazy week out here, man. We want to talk mostly about upbringing and, you know, how we get to the places that we are in our life. Biggest news story of the week has been with thing that happened with killing of the kids mm. in um, Udalve, Texas. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Have you gotten to a point where this stuff comes across your screen and you like, it's not as impactful anymore. Or do you still take a moment out of your day and you're like, God damn, what's going on? Or do it still hit you like that? 
Uh, it's like probably a mixture of both. Um, most times what happens is it come across my screen, I move on from it, and then it'll come back again. And I'll find myself, you know, taking a moment to, to understand, try to understand. And I seen a post. I don't know if you posted this too, but I seen a post where they had the uh, a screenshot of like the cycle mm, that yeah. keeps happening to black people in this country. Yeah. And I seen a lot of people kind of posting. I'm like, damn, that's that's sad. That it, it's sad, and it's not just black people, but I'm just saying, like in the cycle and and, and the school shootings are in that same same cycle. Like I worked at a school right before I got to this job, and so I couldn't imagine. Like I worked with some wonderful teachers. And I work with some some wonderful kids too, and not so wonderful, but none, nonetheless, I couldn't imagine, you know, that happening. It's like I drop my daughter off at school, and I pull up, and I move out the way for the next car, and I make sure I watch her go all the way into the school. I don't care if it's a friend she waiting on. I will sit there. I don't care who behind me, but watch her going to school. I can't imagine dropping her off and. 3.30 come to pick her up and that's it she ain't there you know what I mean what What about you what about you Spike what, how does it affect you like when you you see this type of news and these cycles continuously happening it, it, I don't have kids but condolences to the families and people that were affected by it when it does come across it's almost gotten to a point for me where like I don't want the horror porn in my mind. I know the world's not perfect and I know that crazy things happen, but it seems like more consistently that's all that floods your notification and alerts. Like people love to talk about it on your timeline. Like everybody wants to feel like that they have to comment and be a part of the conversation for some reason. That part of it for me kind of makes me push it away. So I'll see a big headline and I'm like, uh, Maybe I'll read that, but I don't want to engage. I don't want to be around people who feel like, oh, this is so sad, and oh, they want to talk about it when they're not really adding anything pertinent to, to the conversation. I know it may be arrogant, but I just don't like that people think that having conversation about this shit is the end thing. Like, people more so care about having an opinion and actually fucking doing something. And I don't know if we fought that to social media. I don't know if we fought that to just where we came to as a people. But even when I'm like, let's say I want to get away for it, I'm looking at sports. Even when I'm looking at sports on ESPN, awkwardly, they segue into speaking about it and trying to drum up some sort of sympathy or some sort of empathy that they can show for this when why like what are you adding to the conversation or doing like some people came to where they were as far as sports to get away from it and i know it's a human nature to want to speak about this stuff but i just think that people when this stuff comes around what irritates me is that they think their voices are so important I have to rush to Twitter and say this and put these flags up and change my profile hearts to blue and yellow because of Ukraine. Like it's, it seems, it comes off as ingenuine to me. And it makes me think that people are not paying enough attention to the problem. And they're more so just wanting to jump into the conversation. 
it's like there's things that could be done about gun control where you're not taking people's guns where you're not having to argue as much as we as people argue about it. do i know what the fuck they are no but everybody's so interested in having a point getting their point across disagreeing with the other point that no real conversation is ever had when these things happen about what's the actual solution what can we put into practice today tomorrow like i don't want to hear you tell me to go vote i don't want to hear you tell me to call my congressman or whatever it may be what can we do if i was a parent i don't want those answers i want to know what i can do tomorrow to feel safe that my child is going to school like i couldn't imagine being outside of that school bro and police standing out there from the reports allegedly saying hey well we can't go in we're not gonna let y'all in now this is my kid bro i feel like i would like y'all gonna have to take me to jail and shoot me on my way getting in here but it ain't no standing out here with you waiting to see what happens like that's that's just not an option mm-hmm. so either y'all gonna take me to jail y'all gonna shoot me or i'm gonna go in here and get my child but it ain't no sitting around sitting around and i feel like that's where we are in america right now a lot of people are comfortable and happy with standing around sitting around well we can't do this because of policy let's just wait and see how it works and everybody wants to commentate nobody wants to participate and i th- i think that now if, if people i feel like the, the since the platform is there people feel like you said more important than feel like their opinion is changing things mm-hmm. you get a repost and you feel like you just did some activism mm. you say i reposted that because i i want everybody to know that i know what's going on I want everybody to know I understand. I want everybody to know that I'm thinking about this. But that's where it ends. I just want you to know. There's nothing happen there's nothing that happens after I I want you to know. I think the real things come when it ain't a re- repost. It ain't a reshare. It ain't no I'm on the radio talking about. It. This is so real. It's so real for me. I'm not commenting. That's it. Right. I get it. Exactly. Use your platform. Use your voice. I get that, but it's so real for me. I ain't, I ain't nothing. Like, yeah, it ain't, a, it ain't a. This ain't a, a tweet thing for me. Yeah. Again, I can't. You can't dictate how other people feel. Yeah. So let me ask you, because I think that this has a lot to do with it. Why I brought it up, of course, it was in the news, and we want to talk about it. It's relevant. Mm-hmm. Upbringing. I think that this in general the guy that did it the upbringing that he had shot his grandmom in the face before this happened mo what type of house did you grow up in and at 18 years old if you went and bought an ar-15 like what would have happened the the type of house i grew up in is probably similar to most of us people of color black people specifically it's two parent or one parent uh like half and half okay that makes sense where makes sense to black folks (laughs) yeah like half and half like basically from like a baby to about i ain't gonna say a baby i probably say from like whenever my parents separated when i was a young boy like i'm i take a guess and maybe five i don't know and from that point to like 13 it was just my mom my dad would still drop money off and he still would stop by 
but they just had their issues. Like we, we're good today. Like, and then from like that 13 up until, you know, all the way until college, they was together. And so I had that, you know, it was like some Cosby shit, you know what I'm saying? Or Huxley shit rather. So I, I had both experiences or whatever. I do remember struggling with, when it was just mom and her three kids, you know what I'm saying? But basically I grew up where, you know, you don't do this, you don't do that, you know, and some stuff, you know, <laughs> you get older and you know, like, okay, I be, like there's a, there's a level of pride that we are taught as black kids where we shouldn't have that pride. And that's being scared to ask for something. And it's just like that thing where it's like, don't don't go over here, don't start asking for this, don't start. It's like, but what if what if I need this? Like, you don't know, but, nobody house acting like you hungry. Yeah, you know, but I am hungry. That's funny. As <laughs> you hell. Know, but you know, we'll dive deeper into that. But basically, like, I grew up with a, uh, I would say, a pretty good foundation. I mean, I got whoopings, um, and I'm thankful for those. You know, I mean, I got whoopings. My dad never never whooped me, but my mom, you know, she she gave us whoopings probably till we was about 15, and it didn't work no more. Uh. But yeah, I mean, I guess just foundationally, like just, you know, grew up with uh, morals like this is right. This is wrong. Don't don't be disrespecting people. Don't you know, don't be fighting your brother. Don't be fighting. You know, don't don't be fussing with your sister. Have each other's back. You know, the basics or whatever. So, I mean, what do you what do you think that uh, I grew up in? a I grew up in a single parent household. My mother worked my whole childhood. She had a boyfriend. He lived with us. But it wasn't never really like a father figure to me. And uh, like my mom worked two jobs my whole life until mm. I was an adult. I just wanted to get some background on how I grew up. I had a question on where do you think that? that too. What do you think that um, about how I say? Go ahead. Yeah, well, what you were saying about your upbringing, I, I, I had a question within. So, what do you do uh, when your mom is working two jobs? What? Who 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 would you be like grandma or uncles or how would you be watched at that time? Great question. Uh, it has a lot to do with how I am today. I usually will be watching myself. <laughs> okay. My mom was not an irresponsible mother. She I had a I grew up with my great grandparents. Really, my great grandparents, absolutely. Black um, excellence, absolutely, man. My great grandparents. They lived on the south side of Nashville. It was a better neighborhood, so I went to school from there first until I graduated from high school. Uh, I was on the South Side. But when I would, because my mom worked two jobs, I would go over there in the morning. She would drop me off and I would catch the bus um, at the end of the street, mm -hmm. first through fourth grade, right in front of the house, fifth and sixth grade, seventh and eighth grade, uh, maybe down the street. By high school, I was driving. But, um, what the terminology is is more so like latchkey kid. Either I would get from school, go to their home, like until I was eight or nine, and chill over there till my mom got off work at like ten, which left me to my own devices. And they was old, like they was like sixties, seventies, so it wasn't no make sure your homework's done or anything like I, so, I made a huh. No, go ahead. You, you I was going to say it was just a. My mom set the expectation as to here's what I would want you to do and expect of you while I'm working, getting you everything that you need. I shouldn't have to like she even got to come check homework. Like I just did all of that shit naturally. And plus I wanted to be when I was younger, I I liked doing that shit. I liked reading and, and being into that and, and, and 
getting my work done the fastest and all of that doing my homework before i left school like all of that shit. i was a studious kid that's classic <laughs> uh I, I used to love that shit. and that way i go home and just watch cartoons but with that being said like you said watching me wasn't really a thing like man if i remember when i was eight nine ten years old bro like when people say they was outside like me or my best friend like we was outside bro like I, I'm getting out of school at four or five o'clock. Excuse me, three, four o'clock. Nine, ten years old. Homework done. All right, grandma, I'm gone. And I'm walking out the house, and we going to play football, basketball. We wasn't into nothing illegal at that age, but that did lead into just being outside, not being watched over as a teenager, getting mm-hmm. away with more stuff, and the stakes beginning to get a lot higher so to answer your question no one was watching me but there was an expectation of who my mom raised me to be like you ain't gonna be just out here doing anything either because I, I will switch it up nigga. i quit both of these jobs nigga, and you won't have shit i'll make sure that you're doing everything you're supposed to do yeah, yeah. so yeah it was the, the expectation was there it was just like if i wanted that freedom then i just couldn't be out here wild and either so i think i think this is this is why this podcast is so great to me already, it, mm-hmm. because you really don't realize the in, insight into like how you are. Yep. Based on some text messages we've shared about uh, TV show characters, facts, and like the the, the sympathy factor. <laughs> so it's it's starting to kind of make more you sense. See why to I me. like D'Angelo now. <laughs> no, I see why anybody don't like D'Angelo. <laughs> No, but but just like now I see why like you have you always have these certain issues with like uh uh the artist versus the the label exec. You always mm-hmm. kind of side with the label exec, you know, versus the artist because the artist is crying and they're not doing the work and doing doing the due diligence in in their positioning. Right. And I feel like in a way this ties directly into some of your upbringing. Mm. Like doing the work, being independent, not crying about it. And was it fair? Maybe, maybe not. But you ain't complaining about it. You you turned right, out like well. And and I just think. That's a good I, observation. No, I, I think that's something more now because like this is something I could have never gotten, you know, yeah. otherwise it's, it's, it's unless we've had. Yeah. So that. OK, so that lets My me question in. question to you yeah. was based around. um what do you think that don't ask for nothing attitude comes from? I have a theory from a movie or a documentary that I've seen, but I want to know where you think that come from. What we just hit on shortly that don't you, when you get it, you know, you go to folks house, don't you be acting like you hungry and shit. What do you think? It comes from? I think I personally think it's just my own personal opinion, but I think that black people, um, Black people, especially back then, we don't have much. And so what we do have, we cling on to and we hold on to. That's why we have such old-ass memorabilia back in the day. Because we don't have a lot. But what we have, we hold on to it. And I think one of those things that we we didn't, we didn't, or we had, rather, and we held on to would be, like, pride in regards to, and, and like, like, how we look. Like, we care about how we look. And I feel like with parents like especially specifically like more black moms i feel like i may not have the father around or it may just be me and my kids or or child but one thing you ain't gonna say 
You ain't gonna have me out here looking crazy. You ain't gonna have me looking crazy because that's I all I got. What I'm supposed to do. Yeah, because then if 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 you have me looking crazy and I'm already working my ass off to take care of you, that's all I got. So now I'm working my ass off and I got people talking about how my kids look. And I I ain't gonna have that to happen. You know what I mean? They can talk about me because I, I may not it may just be me, but I'm not gonna have them talking about my kids or having me them talk about how we look as a unit. So don't go over here asking for this. Don't go over here doing this, such and such, etc. So I feel like it's just them trying to protect the image because we don't have much. So mm. what we do have, we try to protect it. That's why you get the people going to church. Uh, they was like, I ain't got much to do. I ain't got much going on. But when you see me on Sunday, I'm gonna be, you know, that's that's us. Like we've always been that way. It's like we don't have much, but we what we do have, we hold on to. That's an image is, is a big deal in the black community. Yes, image big deal. What I wrote down was on display. And I feel like that we always feel like that we're on display. So you have to put your best foot forward as a black person. And I mm-hmm. think this dates all the way back to slavery. Mm-hmm. I was looking at Hidden Colors and one of the topics that they were talking about was, you tell me if it's ever happened to you. Someone will compliment you and when you were young, or it may even happen now, your mom will be like, oh, that little nappy head boy, this or that. <laughs> Not necessarily being derogatory to you, but just instinctively of her. Maybe she don't want you to get the big head is what you thought. I, I've seen her do that. your mom ever do that to you? Not me. Uh, but I have seen her. It's it's kind of like not really when we were children, but kind of when my sister got older. Yeah. Like, probably like 20s or whatever. Um, but that's a deeper conversation in regards to like your youth being taken away and then you see a bright future for your child and now in their youth and you look at their figure and what you used to be you look at their opportunities and what you didn't have and so it builds someone yeah so well you, it builds some weird resentment where you're really not mad at them you're kind of mad at your decisions uh makes you like damn but yeah sorry no problem what would you think if i told you it was a protection mechanism when white people would come to buy slaves back in the day, when they would come look, shop around for slaves, in order for mothers to protect their children, when the white slave owner or maybe the wife of the white slave owner, the people who were looking at the slaves, they would come and say, oh, that nigga looks strong, look like he can plow a field. A mother, in order to try and keep her son, keep her husband around, speak derogatory oh no he ain't all of that because if I sway you that this person isn't what you think it is then I can keep them close to me they used to do that back in slavery it was a known practice it's among slaves that hey I'm going to talk derogatory about this other one not out of a fact that I hate them or resent them but I want them to stay close to me and these people are looking at them kind of trying to take them away so it's not the same thing how we do it in our generation. It's rooted the same. Like you, okay. Although it's a protection mechanism, mostly used by women. They'll like again, it, it downplay your significance. And like I said, it's a protection. But that made me think of that when you said that because we're always on display. We're always having to put a foot forward, thinking about what other people think of us. That's part of our upbringing as a people. It was never 
what we call white privilege what i always point out to my white friends and how they always try to act like they don't understand is like the white privilege part of it is just not caring not having to give a fuck not being on display like not having to be told like what you just were told don't you go over here asking for nothing i remember vividly being eight years old bro had a godmother she used to when she came she worked with my mom when she came by the house she would give me money not because I asked for it, because she was like maybe five, ten bucks, however, and that's a lot to eight nine. Oh, years, you know? man. Oh, yeah. But the one time she came and didn't, I asked. And well, you, you could have seen my mama face, nigga. I, and oh, again, man. I still remember that. I'm 40 years old. That was 32 <laughs> years ago, bro. I, I remember that vividly and the conversation after. Like, nigga, don't you, she good enough to be giving it to you. Don't you dare ever in your life ask again for somebody who's who's doing something about the business of their heart for And it's, it's just ironic that you say that and how it all lays out amongst our upbringing, the things that we want to cross and how it's taken as black people. You, you actually made me think about something. The, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the fact that you remember that what was like the biggest lesson from just that memory? Cause I know we got plenty of things that kind of shaped and mold us. Um, but what, what, what lesson did you take away from that? That specifically was, uh, <laughs> people don't got to do shit for you, man. So appreciate what they do. That My older spin on it. I, back then, I'm not sure how I yeah. took it. And I think yeah. back then, I was more so like, why she hate me. <laughs> what <laughs> right. the terminology like, hey, that I Mom, I'm trying to get you. Like, you know, I'm trying to get some white like, yeah, You yeah. ain't going to give it to me, shit. Why I can't ask her? Right. Back then, as a child, as an adult, is yeah. um, like, appreciate what people do for you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a very humble person. I think that that being able to regurgitate that that quickly for you and have it so vividly in my mind it does play a lot in my character. Like I really don't, I'm not, I, I don't ask people for nothing. Like I'm not yeah. like, and I try to humble myself and be very appreciative of the things that people do give to me, share with me. So that's the good side of it. The bad side of it, it's made me lack assertion. Like I'm not as assertive mm. as I would be like, that's one of the things that I worked on with my therapist, even in my relationship with my great work, even being more assertive, being more asking for it, trying to overcome that vivid memory of eight years old being told not to ask for it. Did you so think, even at 40, it still affects me. I like that you talked about that assertion. I want to come back to that within this. Do you think asking for things, I don't know, maybe when you're younger or got older, did it make you feel less than because you had to ask? Nah, you didn't know. Like, you ain't got too much pride as a kid, man. Think of the shit that kids do, right? Well, I mean, I guess, I'm sorry. Younger adult, like, coming up, like, after that. Because, of course, yeah, you're right. Like, kids ask whatever. Can I have some? Like, you know. <laughs> but, like, when you got to that, uh, like, a, a, a point, like, let's just say early 20s, mm-hmm. right? Did you ever feel some kind of way about yourself by having to ask? Yes, all the time. Even if it's people that are close to me. Like, what did it make you feel like? I should have it. Like, I shouldn't have to add. Like, I should have the resource. It ain't necessarily got to be money. Like, I should have the resource. I should have the knowledge. I should have the ability not to have to go outside of my me 
and get it. It always made me feel like I should have it. I should have it, excuse me. So it's made me kind of arrogant to think, because you can't have everything. You can't, right? right. But that interaction at eight years old played Mm -hmm. so far out into your life and you try to overcome things and you don't know where they come from or where it may be. But yeah, that interaction made me think that I should have everything and shouldn't have to ask for it. Mm. Like I like I shouldn't have to go outside of myself to find something that I need. You know, I want to talk about a, a pivotal memory because like now you, it definitely is taking me back into memory lane and the way like you that has stuck with you. I have like a it ain't a similar situation, but it is a situation that stuck with me forever. And I tell this story all the time, like to younger um the youth if i if you know if they're going through something similar but like i don't know to me personally like y'all might not understand it now i guess what we call colorism but like back in the day it was definitely colorism but i don't care i'm not about to classified colorism like i don't want to everything don't have to be classified but like when i was a young boy like i i felt like like when you was dark skin like you got dogged like you got dogged like i don't care like and and so I'm gonna try to move through the story fairly quick so we can move on. But I, when I lived in Kentucky and I was in middle school, uh, like I wasn't a popular kid. Like I always dressed nice, but I wasn't popular. I didn't talk much. I didn't really like to uh, talk that much. Uh, I was just a quiet dude. I was a fresh, quiet dude, dark skin, little fade, whatever, part, whatever. So we're in seventh, no, eighth grade. There's this girl I got a crush on. I still remember her name was Kiara Wilson. <laughs> I used to really Facebook that lately, huh? Facebook that lately? Nah, like a few years back I did. Like a few <laughs> years back I was like, ah oh, yeah, I'm straight. They, I don't even get me started on like all the times I'm like, ah oh, yeah, yeah, we good. <laughs> That's fine. But uh, but I had a crush on. I used to really be into like as a young boy, like, and I'm, I know I'm not the only man that was once like this as a boy, but like. Like kind of tomboyish girls, like girls that would like play video games. Nice shoes, shit. yeah, nice kicks. They might hoop with you. You know what I'm saying? Like that. I don't know why. I may have been some television or something, but like I always been in. So she was on the basketball team, like, and so I had like the huge, biggest, biggest crush on her. But I had, I had really bad confidence issues. Uh, that's what made me think about the assertion thing and the, kind of the humble thing and like also the parent thing, saying oh, I ain't, you know, you ain't or whatever. Like I had a lot of confidence issues. I'm just now starting to get there and I still be struggling but I have to like reaffirm things to myself because I will go down a, a deep dark path of getting unconfident but anyway and some of this stems from this story so I had this crush on this girl so I, I used to say hi to her and stuff like that and somehow I worked my way into the inner circle of like five people that were popular it was like Big Phil who was like not supposed to be in our grade this nigga was like six foot three big ass nigga that was on the O-line he, he like he supposed to be in the 10th grader uh, there was a dude named uh, David they used to call him Pophead I guess his head like a pop I don't know he was just Pophead and then there was uh, Kiera and then there was this light skinned kid named Antonio Lett and uh, he was kind of like the eyeball in my opinion because all of them dressed fresh uh, and he he dressed okay like he just wore regular jeans polo and some forces like it wasn't no nothing fancy like them but I guess he used to make them laugh. So he must have been funny. Yeah, he was kind of funny. So anyway, 
I ended up somehow working into it. Like, I, cause I was quiet, they thought I was smart. I wasn't. Like, and uh, so he knew I liked her. I'm just gonna kind of fast forward up, but he knew I liked her. Uh, I told him I don't remember how. Me and him was like kind of cool or whatever. And so there was this one moment we was in the cafeteria, and so I don't know. I think maybe Pophead or Phil, one of them, got on him. They was talking about him. I guess he had like big nostrils or whatever. Like, but he really wasn't like no ugly dude. Like I had no material to get with this dude. So, you know, the worst thing, and this this changed everything for me. When you're laughing too hard, yeah, you're laughing too hard. And I couldn't help it because I'd be like laughing. Like, like back then I used to be like, I got, I got, like loud in the mug. Like now I know how to humble that unless it's just hilarious. Right. But like, so I'm laughing. We sitting in a little booth or whatever. So lines come out. I know you ain't laughing. <laughs> Shit. Nigga, I do not know how to Joan at this point. No Joan. So this nigga started grilling me. Pun intended. He started going crazy on the black jokes. He started calling me roadkill, charcoal. Like he was just he he set it up a little creatively, and they were laughing. So then, so you know how the girls be like, "Stop talking about him. Stop stop talking about him. He ain't that dark or whatever." And so, but then eventually she started laughing. And so I'm sitting there like next to her. She didn't like me or nothing, but I was trying to work my move. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You thought you had a shot. I thought I had a shot. You know what I'm saying? I said, "I'm a slow. I'm a slow." grind this thing so then there was this knockout joke that killed it he said there was this girl in our class named uh not april um asia she was like tall you remember back in the day with the girls that was like kind of tall where they had like like a high booty Mm -hmm. like was like they jeans look hella long but they torso short or something like so they used to be calling her like dinosaur so she was dark skinned too and then he said don't let Maurice and Asia have a baby. Oh God! And like that was the knockout, bro. I, next thing you know, I start my the vision start getting watery and oh, shit. Oh man! I was like, oh shit, this is about to happen. I'm about to cry, nigga. Like so, nigga. I hurried up, put my head down. The bell rang. And you know, you got your head stuck in your your, your arms, and then niggas try to yeah. pull your face out. And yeah, you just yeah, keep yeah, your yeah. arms attached. So the nigga end up. I ain't leave. I ain't care if I was late. Nothing. I was so embarrassed. And so nigga ended up, you know, he ended up apologizing at the end. Like when everybody left the cafeteria, he's like, sorry, man, I forgot that you you really liked her. My bad, bro. And from that point, I knew just to tie this whole thing up is never uh it don't matter how much hard. good you do to people, because I was nice to everybody. Yeah. People will still talk about your ass. Oh, facts. So I've learned that. And I carried it. I said, bro, it don't matter how nice you people will still talk about your ass. That nigga dogged me for nothing. I was nice to him, nice to all of them. And I ever since then, and plus also it taught me like I, at this point, I was like, I, you can say anything now. Nigga, I laugh at myself, but yeah. that was probably the worst I had ever felt in eighth grade. So long story long, but it's over. But yeah, I, I learned. That's a lesson I learned from coming up. In the I have a couple of questions from that. So <laughs> yeah, did he was feeling the heat, so he wanted to apply it to you. Oh man! So, do you ever think, since the, clearly the story is still on your mind, do you ever think that he looked at you a certain like? You ever think that he looked at you as a mark, or like always had it in his back pocket, like this nigga? If 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 it, if the heat get too hot in the kitchen, then I know I'm gonna go out to Maurice and just tear him up because he ain't gonna come back. Because it sounded like you wasn't a jokester at all, like you and you wasn't about that life. Not at all. I, I I don't I don't think that. 
I, I don't know. That would you be think it was cool. like spur of the moment or he had it playing. That's that's what I'm trying to ask. Oh, I think spur of the moment. I think he, he, he was very quick. He's okay. very quick with the and he was like, again, I had no material on this dude. He probably was expecting you to hit back. Yeah, probably. Probably because at first he'd be like, oh, man, shut up, man. All right, man. Hey, chill out, yeah. man. Whatever. And he kept like, going. And then you keep going like, nah, shall I get him? Shall I? I ain't got you yet. <laughs> All right now. You got me. I ain't got you yet. Nigga, so like, have you have you since then, since that traumatic experience, have you like developed defense mechanisms to not be in that position again? Like, do you find yourself not like controlling your laugh or what you laugh at or controlling the settings as to who you find yourself wanting to be around because you don't want that to happen again. Like, have you found yourself doing that? You know, the, the interesting thing about it is when I was in college, fast forward, and this mm-hmm. is not a long story. Uh, one of my bros made a black joke. We never joked on each other like that. We still was fairly new freshmen. And so one of them, we was walking out like the greens or whatever, or walking out of like the student center where you got food. Mm-hmm. And one of them was like, like he made some kind of black joke. I don't remember what it was, but like I remember like everything flashed in front of me of back in eighth grade. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, freeze. I was like, I said, wait a minute. Nigga, I'm not about to I'm, I'm not about to So nigga, I didn't even care. I just said some shit. I know you yeah. shut your fat nose up, nigga. Like I don't I, I just whatever came to what me. What you wish like, you had it did in the eighth grade. Yeah, like just say anything, but I didn't cuss back then. Like I you know what I mean? I was kinda I was just a nice, nice guy. Like yeah. but I mean that shit changed over the years, but uh, when I got to college, so I then I just said, I don't care if it's whack. It's better than not saying nothing. So now, yeah. I mean, now I've gotten better with it. Like if I get the material and kind of study somebody, I'm like, okay, yeah, all right. And sometimes right. my jokes don't hit. Sometimes they do. But I mean, you can't break me like that no more. Like yeah, that, that, that shit sense. is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny how those instances like just affect you. You don't even realize it unless you have conversations like this or with therapists and stuff about it. Like. I think most brothers just hold that shit in and they mm-hmm. still, I heard a very interesting uh, tidbit from a psychologist as far as how people stop growing when they experience emotional trauma. So like if you experience this traumatic experience at 15, 16, 13 years old, you never really actually, when you are emotionally affected that way, grow out of that state. So you're still reacting as a 15 year old. You're still reacting as a 13 year old because you never really addressed why you react that way anyway or whatever it was that happened to make you react that way. So when you see a lot of these grown men and women out here, when you like you see motherfuckers flipping out in the store and all that shit you'll see on IG on the IG fights, you're like, how as an adult do you get from I went to go shopping to now we fighting in Walmart? Like, how in the fuck does that happen? But it's like what you just explained, one traumatic experience in their life, and they hold that shit in forever. And either it's, I'm going to respond to it the same way for some people, and that keeps happening to them, or they overcompensate. Some could have been very light. You find this in fucking um, road rage incidents is a lot. Or like just normal, mundane, regular incidents, and this person just flips the fuck out. Because of something they never addressed in their life, I think that's very interesting. Yeah, it, it is. It, it it really is. And uh, I'm gl- I'm glad, but I, I be I'm just you know I'm grateful for my childhood, like because there's so much shit in there. Like there's many stories, and we'll have some more. Oh, this is this is the the, the place for it. We're gonna talk about that a lot. Oh yes. Yeah. This, this past week on the On Deck TV show, if you're not listening, go tap in. Tap in. We talked about our favorite summer albums. Mm-hmm. What summer album? sticks out to you uh when you were listening did, did something 
that we maybe failed to mention or that more appropriate for your age group would you say well it's really hard to like because summer's three months and it's very hard because sometimes to me summer is like end of spring beginning of fall and all of the summer in between that's how i be feeling like summer is like but only thing that i could come up with and it wasn't a summer album uh I think it came out right before maybe spring. It was Drake's "Thank Me Later." Uh, um, let me pull that Super date up. Answer from someone from your generation. Ah, uh, here we go. What's that? What's, what you mean? What you mean by that? Huh? <laughs> what you mean by it generation? Just sound like it's just the go-to answer for people in your generation is Drake. I mean, but a lot of people, but but I mean. I mean, he's been everywhere. Like he's all over the. You know, what I mean, what you want me? To, you want the deep cuts? I well, mean, I'm I just got you. Well, I guess you said that the criteria. Excuse me. The criteria was uh, May to August. So it ain't no album for you other than Drake. Tell you how I processed it and why I responded that way. So ain't okay. no album other than, <laughs> other than Drake for the last twenty years that you like this summer album. All right. Well, that's the, what I mean. Okay, so what makes it kind of challenging for me is it's a combination of things where you got to be outside. It had to yeah. come out during that time, and you have to remember the rotation. Ah. Let so, me ask you this. What's your favorite album? My favorite album? Period. Hands um, down, what's the first album you thought of when I said it? Okay. Please don't laugh me out the room here. Uh-oh. My favorite album. Another lunch table situation. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's going to be a callback for sure. Yeah, uh, Ryan Leslie, Less Is More. That's my favorite. What's your second favorite album? Give me another one. I got. I need some. Really? <laughs> really? Oh, man. I don't even know who that is. Oh, all man. I know, all I know that Ryan Leslie looks like him extra that used to play on our show. That's all I know. I don't even know. No, I can see that. He looks just like him. I'll send you a picture. I, 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 I can see that. I can I can totally see that. It may actually look like somebody I, somebody else though, but I I can't. I, he looks so familiar, but I just don't know yet. But I but uh, second favorite album is a great question. I'm probably gonna I just go. Can't believe I'm gonna go to listen. Now I gotta listen to that album. Like, do you have a favorite rap album? Because that ain't rap, is it? It's 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 rap. Ryan Leslie raps. Yeah, that was his first rap album. Like he went from R&B to rapping and I really like that shit like wow but so, yeah well what's another one of your favorite albums like rap albums mm-hmm. I got a lot of, get a gauge of let me music. go outside of the Drake pocket here uh, you like a lot of it sounds like a lot of sad songy emotional rap like Ryan Leslie and Drake were the two artists you name yeah I do I mean do I want to go Wayne here? Nah, I can't believe it's that. I I can't believe. Um, I guess because I was so vested in music, man, and we talked about how it raised me. Like, if you ask me this, man, I almost start like fucking reeling off shit. Like, I got. Favorite nigga asked me favorite album. I need different contexts. Like I got several favorite albums in different ways. I guess I'm just addressing how you stuck on it. I got. I is it well, because you got a lot of them? And you overthinking it, or you having a hard well, time? Well, I got. I mean, I got a lot of albums like that. I like like favorite. Like I mean, really, just off rip. Like my favorite album. My favorite two albums is the Ryan Leslie Less Is More and Jamie Foxx Unpredictable. Like those are my favorite 
albums. Like if I was on the island, it'd be one of those two. But it probably would be Ryan Leslie because if I'm by myself, I'm not about to get myself in the mood. You know what I mean? <laughs> Take care of the job on my own. You know what I'm saying? Like so. But I think for me, it's more like singles. Like, it, and I, only reason I say that because we I didn't have a lot of CDs growing up. We had mix CDs. You know what I'm saying? And then like dub tapes where my daddy would just record mixes off the radio so we wasn't really buying albums like that my daddy would bump shit like i remember do or die you know i just remember hearing that song do you want to ride in the back you know i remember just certain random shit like you know, i just remember more songs than albums i so got are you just are you just thinking like childhood or this is your whole life even now like when albums come out you don't listen to them? now i definitely really don't like I, What's it, the last good album like you enjoyed? Kendrick, the new one, mm-hmm. and before Mr. Mr. Morales, Mr. Morales, yeah, and the Big Steppers. Uh, before that one, which one was? Oh, uh, it's uh, this album by Buddy. This shit is ah, uh, this is a classic to me. I, I I don't I don't know how niggas ain't talking about this, bro. You got to check this one out. <laughs> You've given me absolutely nothing to work with. What you, you mean, mean right? <laughs> Name Ryan Leslie, Drake, Jamie Foxx, and Buddy. I'm just so. What would you? <laughs> what well, I mean? What you want me to give you, man? Let me get Hove, man. Let me get that Hove 444. No, Let's I just would expect. Uh, I, I, I guess I just expected at least one traditional. I thought at some point you was gonna be like. Being from the Midwest, I guess it is rough though. Like you ain't got no like go to guys. Yeah, like it, nah, being nah. from the South. I can expect at some point there's a go-to album that usually air like if it's A Ball and MJG, if it's UGK, if it's TI, if it's Jeezy, if it's Boosie and Webby, I can kind of get a grasp of like, okay, I kind of see where Oh, I'm like going. the regional. Yeah. Yeah. Not even just regional. Like just they they like it's niggas from down south that I know that don't like none of that and prefer they would say Nas or they would say just that group it's just just different groups or genres that i was trying to determine and you were just like i guess it's r&b well i guess so an r&b guy in rap i did definitely gather well okay so i'm a person like i'm i i, I love emotions to be provoked mm. that's what i love about certain television that's what i love about what i do on my podcast raw roll the audio drama series i love things that provoke emotion um and so i love rapping like i got mixtapes i've rapped myself i got music online so i've made rap music but once i started kind of adding melodies to my music i found that i could get certain emotions across better than i could lyrically and so i when it comes to like just rap i like spit people spitting and everything and sometimes they can make it vivid you know what i mean but i feel like it doesn't provoke the emotion that you're trying to get across the same for me unless it has some kind of production that has a, a certain melodic feel or mood to it or a you know vocal ability that has a mood to it i think that can i request can i re, can i request a listening assignment like do you listen to old rap let, let me see the last old rap i listened like ugk to. let's say like have you heard riding dirty yes have you heard Me Against the World? Yes. Oh, you I'm a, oh Pac. I'm a big Pac fan though. Okay. That is I was going to say that like, he invokes a lot of emotion. Yeah, and I, that's why I say he's an exception though. It's like it's, okay. it's not that it's I I man, bro. 
And I know people don't like blends. They, right. you know, people didn't Tupac blend him to death. But bro, don't do it. I, I, no, I got to. I sent this to y'all a grip ago. No, y'all ain't never said nothing. But like, I oh, said, you probably a reason why, man, bro. Listen, well, I, I guess it might not even hit the same for y'all because y'all from the south, so y'all may, you may. But I'm telling you, bro. There's this from DJ Simon says this tape called The Thug Below, where they have Tupac over Dungeon Family production, bro. I listen to that every day, nigga. The Thug Below. The Thug it's a Below. Whole album? Whole album. It's okay. it's a tape, but you know. Yeah. It's called the Thug Below, but bro. On the mixtape scene. Yeah, you know what? Hold on, I got I got my little my little pill right here. My sister gave me. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something on. Bet all you motherfuckers die when we ride. When I am take a journey through my mind's eye. You cross the game, don't explain, nigga. Time to die. Say goodbye. Watch my eyes when I pull the trigger. So right before you die, you bow before a bigger nigga. Now dry your eyes. You was heartless on your hits. Niggas love to scream peace after they start some shit. Pay attention, here's a word to those that rob me. I murder you, then I run a train on Mob Deep. Don't fuck with me. Yeah, that's kind of but yeah, what's what so what's your listening assignment? I'm sorry. Um the reason I was asking because you asked about the come home with me, and I told the story about that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But for me, if someone asked me my favorite album is UGK Riding Dirt. I easily, I don't even have to think about it. Next for me, I would say Me Against the World. Mm. Uh, two dramatic differences. I don't know. I feel like it's 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 like gumbo <laughs> versus. You gotta listen to Riding Dirt again. Like I will, I listen to Ryan Dirty. You did. Okay. I, 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 I listened to. This is how I listened to that album. This is okay. how I took it in. Okay. I bought a lot of albums. You said you did. Like when we came up, that was the thing about albums. I bought UGK's album maybe three times. Inside the booklet, they printed all the lyrics. I would sit and listen to UGK's <laughs> the whole album and just read out the lyric book, like why they was rapping, just try to follow. it and just read it and I think that's why it impacted me so much and then to hear Bun later on say well the the, the thought process of making that album we just wanted to display a night out in Houston two brothers and then going back and listening to it and ingesting that information and just I just think that's the perfect album when did when did he say this he was on Combat Jack oh okay this or, is one of those classics. It, it was either Combat Jack or uh, It's The Real when they used to drop when Jeff and Eric used to do their podcast and he came up there and hollered at them. But he was saying one of that, he was saying that, that that album is essentially a movie of a night out on the south side of Houston. Now we we talked about television and talked about kind of like a, a period pieces and like things that are built on the setting that we really love that like like we talk about Sopranos as far as like the setting, getting that New Jersey feel. I think that I'm going I'm gonna run it back for sure because uh, uh, riding dirty, riding dirty. Because I struggle only. This is skits and everything. I'm gonna run. Yeah, I'm gonna run it back. I I struggle. Only part I be struggling is I can't never get past murder. I love that song. Yes, bro. I can't never. I listen so much now. I'm like, all right, forget it. Like I drop off because I'm like, bro. If Pimp C big, then uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So no, like. For me, come home with me when you were asking oh, yeah, about yeah, that yeah. story. What did you mean? You said, "I." You said, "Dude, you, you 
you said something about it, yeah, it's a memory that I I always remember when I think about that album, and then you kind of cut it off. And I was wondering, like, what that specific, with this being the upbringing episode, what what was that specifically that was uh, a memory that you had with that album? Like, something it was something that you were alluding to, but it was, yep. you kind of cut it short. Well, I, I was speaking in shorthand because uh, we used to do this thing in Nashville called busting blocks. This new music come out, you ride around second, third, well, not even every weekend. You ride around downtown, keep riding around, busting the block. Like, and when that came out, Adam O'Brien and I, well, we were at MTSU together. So when I say I was speaking in shorthand, I remember, I mean, he probably remembers too, why he just immediately agreed. When that came, that come home with me came out because I wasn't a big Cameron fan. Right. Like, I, I fucked with Cam. I yeah. liked his personality and stuff, yeah. but I, w- I was expecting some New York mob deep type shit. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, I like a couple songs off here. We're going to keep it moving. I wasn't expecting a classic album. So, as we were busting blocks around 2nd, 3rd Avenue, Broadway, downtown, me, Animal Brown, my guy Jay Hove, we were riding in Animal Brown's car and we listening to this. And we like, man, this nigga is. Like this, this is dead. It's different. This, what, this what, shit right here. What joint? Because I'm, I'm gonna put this in. It was primarily New York City when that New York okay. City came on. By the time we got to that New York City, yeah. remember, old boy was a single, so mm-hmm. it was cooking already. Already, yeah. New York City. Then he came in with the, uh, the Pac remake. Uh-huh. Uh That that had a, the album open up when, mm-hmm. when he redid the Pac song. You know what yeah. I'm talking? We added, uh, dropped the, it in there. Psh, then he was doing that, okay. and it was just like. Oh, okay, Cam is that nigga. Like he ain't just like just one of these like prodigy or just one of these random regular ass New York niggas. Like he that nigga for real. You ever uh there's a podcast it was hosted by Shay Shay Serrano and Jinx on Spotify. It was called No Skips. And they uh, I've heard of it because I'm a fan of the ringer and I like Shay Serrano, but I haven't oh. listened to it. Okay, you will enjoy it. They, I don't think they're doing it no more. They just just stopped, but they only review classic albums. They talk about uh, hard, the hardest lines on here, and they'll play like a clip of it. So they did come home with me. Really? And yeah, that was on there. They did a lot of like classics. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I can't believe Shay Serrano on that. Oh yeah, bro, it's good. Gonna like you gonna out. that's gonna get you straight through. Man, that's I'm a straight look, through. I'm part. Check that out today while I'm playing golf. They had me Hunter listening Ranks. to albums. Just because they, you know, what I mean, I'm like, I don't even care. Like they, they did one on Chief Keith, like, yeah. And I'm I still was like, did yeah. you listen to that dissect? You listen to dissect? Oh uh, man, oh yeah, that shit was fun. Now, not the, not this past one though. I stopped after the the best one, but that's one of Wait. those podcasts, and we'll have to do an episode about this one time. Okay. Like the best podcast out there, like that's mm-hmm. up there for me. Like I can name three off the top of my head that like that goes top three as far as that dissect podcast. Yeah, nothing's touching that. The original serial, I think, is the GOAT. The, the Ahmed, the story about Ahmed Saeed, when he killed the little Chinese girl. Mm-mm. Bro, please tell me. Don't don't look at me like that. I, no. you, you've heard. You do podcasts. You've heard this. And if you ain't heard this, <laughs> listen to this right. As soon as we get done, type in serial and run it. Hold I will on, never forget what like that story listening to it being engaged like this is another thing that made me want to the combat jack was the original thing that made me want to get into podcasts and my motivations are like howard stern and people that were doing radio beforehand but combat jack really and bill simmons made me want to get into it listening to this serial 
the first one about Ahmed Saeed made me really want to do this as a profession. You haven't heard it? No, I mean, I used to listen to uh, Crimes of Passion. Are you familiar with the story? It may have been on there before. I may have listened to it. I kind of got away from it because I had to start kind of controlling my energy. (laughs) But Please do me a favor. I'm listening to something else right now, a pie called Something Was Wrong. Yeah, and, I heard that. I didn't like the preview yeah, for that. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I heard the preview for it. It wasn't really like, like it ain't like sure. talking about the people doing it on that day or whatever. Yeah. Led up to was it leading up? Oh, well, excuse me, that was another yeah. one I'm thinking about. They did people that were leading up to suicide, and it was like that day or something. But um, yeah, oh, serial yeah. man, please check serial out. It's the first season. It's a story about a guy that was convicted of murdering this little girl in high school. And, you ever? Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Did you please check that out? It's fire. Go ahead. On that type of topic, did you ever listen to uh the Steve McNair podcast? Yes. Fire. You listen to the Aaron Hernandez one? No. I didn't like that story. I didn't like nothing that I had to do with it. I I didn't dive. I didn't watch the documentary on that. Uh I just I don't know. I was just turned off by that. I didn't want to know anything more. Yeah. I ain't really got no context as to why, but I just didn't like, I ain't like nothing about it. I heard, like I did listen to, like a podcast that I listened to did a series about it and they were talking about the stuff that led up to it with him and the, the dude. Mm-hmm. Like I did hear some stuff about it. Maybe it was a Dateline episode or some shit. Oh, I don't okay. know what it was, but yeah, yeah that, I didn't go extra deep into that. Yeah, I may check it out. I I, I used to be into like kind of that investigative nah, this is a must journalism. Listen, this is a must. This is like this is this is like an industry standard. Like this kind of like set the tone for like every other criminal investigative podcast. All of those ones you named got their swag from Siri. Okay. Her. Like she was in her bag. <laughs> that and S Town. There's another one called S Town that's fired like that. I've I've seen that. I've seen that uh up there too. S Town is real good. But like I think S-Town may, be, S-Town may be better than Serial, but it's just Serial was the original, the Don Dada. Serial yeah. actually got three good seasons. They do. She did it into a, just turned it into a thing where she does this investigative report. And the second season was about Bo Bergdog, dog. And that was the guy who um, he was in Iraq and he left his post and he got captured by the Taliban and had to go live with them. And then when he came back, we tried to charge him for going AWOL and abandoning his post. And it was this big thing about it. Uh, It was decent. The third season, though, was about, and you would love this one. uh, It was about voting in this town in Carolina. And she took seven episodes and talked about this super PAC group of black people in Carolina that were being prejudiced, that were being... um, they were going, they were being put through hoops because they had a pact, a political pact. Mm-hmm. And the white folks didn't like it. And this was like in 2016. This wasn't a long time ago at all. Mm-hmm. It was in a county in uh, North Carolina. But that, that one was really good, too. But, yeah, mm-hmm. she be cooking on there, man. I, I love investigative reporting. That's one of my favorite things. It's a show called Trafficked on National Geographic with Mariah Von Zant or something like that. Mm-hmm. You go into, like, the same shit that uh, – Michael K. Williams used to do on those little behind the scenes shows for Vice. Did you ever see those? No. Uh-uh. 
about that. Was just like going underground behind drug dealers and oh yeah, like yeah, all of that shit. I uh, I I did listen to Chase and Cosby. That was a to me that, that was, was fire. Good. I like him all. I like him all. Bill, he yeah. did a good job on um. Well, excuse me, that was the the podcast. I'm thinking about the documentary. Yeah, the, yeah, the show. But the podcast the, yeah. about Cosby was good. I liked it. Yeah, but yeah, no, I'm 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 in I'm into it. I haven't I've listened to a lot. I listened to the Marvin Gaye story. Uh, that was on that. Crimes of Passion. That was one of the episodes. It was a two part episode. The build up. Oh, like, it's a series. Well, Crimes of Passion, they just do all of the like, like basically Crimes of Passion, like by close loved ones or something like that. And so they that was like offbeat because I was like, oh, so they had Marvin Gaye. I was like, dang. So they kind of talked well, about his dad killed him, right? Yeah, but it was crazy because the internal shit was like, his dad may have had some. Internal issues. Yeah, as his far dad as, was gay. I heard the story. Yeah, but but like gay. the whole build like up. Woman and shit. Oh yeah, bro. Yeah, like yeah, it yeah. was it was really good. But, Actually, uh, I think I heard that podcast. This is what I got there from. Yeah, his dad used just up like. Yeah, a woman. I never yeah. heard that. But yeah, mm-hmm. that was a. That, but that part is good. I've heard a lot of. I remember uh, when he died. I think crazy. Crazy. he got shot. Yeah, yeah. So before we get out of here, Saul, you wanted to bring me the task about Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. Let me hear. it. The best show on TV right now. Is that because Snowfall's not on? It's way better than Snowfall. It, <laughs> like, it is. It's way better <laughs> it is. than I, I go. So You know what I like, man, is detail. I like people to take time when they're being creative to like think of everything, mm-hmm. which is why I was such a big Game of Thrones fan. Another one of my favorite pieces of fiction is uh, Hunger Games. Like the different districts yeah. and these people do this with game of thrones it was like oh well they from here and this is their history like i love when all of that stuff is incorporated into creativity like it's almost real mm-hmm. and for me with breaking bad and better call saul i love that they take time to go slow as fuck almost boring you into the world, New Mexico, Albuquerque, and making that be a part of the show. And then, boom, like we've seen on the series finale, spoiler alert, what happened with Howard. I like the setup. I appreciate the detail, the going in and out of the manhole. Like, all of that stuff is awesome to me. So the reason that I say it's the best show on TV, I don't think anybody else takes the time out to do that. Nobody else has time, actually, to do that. They try to get the story out quickly, and, and, and it ain't a lot of just building a world and the story up, which I appreciate. And that's why I think Breaking Bad is so good. I I think Better Call Saul, hands down. Excuse me, Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul is probably more consistent than Breaking Bad. Yes, I agree. Uh, it's hands down, to me, one of the most consistent shows that ever was created. Very consistent. And one of the few shows that get better each season. It's very hard to do that. My favorite show and the greatest television show, The Sopranos, mm. you can't even say that with them. Some people, some people can argue the case, and I wouldn't be mad if they did about that six A six B. But I, there's no way you could say season five was better than the prior season. So that would take them out of the, that category. So Better Call Saul is good. I, I, I had an issue with it. This is where we kind of disagreed in our previous conversations via text message. You felt like it was a masterpiece. Yes. 
And I felt like you jumped all the way out the window. <laughs> like you jumped all the way. Like, I don't know. Master. Masterpiece is a, is such a stretch for what got accomplished to me. Like, it, it wasn't. The details is beautiful. I think the callbacks is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But. It's not over. What do you mean accomplished, though? As far as that, that storyline. Well, Howard. Yeah. What did, what did you get accomplished? Well. Howard's a dickhead throughout the whole series. Okay. Maybe not have been a bad guy. Maybe he didn't deserve to die, right? But what you accomplish isn't about him. It ain't his character. What you accomplish is the Kim character and the Jimmy character. Because you guys play your little games and you were pissed off about something that Howard did, who, again, he ain't a bad guy. But you took it all the way here and you're thinking the worst thing that was going to happen to this dude is he get disbarred. Maybe. Maybe he loses his job. Or maybe he loses his family already on the fridge with his wife. You didn't know that. He can't let you know that on the end scene. So, hey, maybe that happens to him too. But, again, you don't give a fuck. He's, you don't like him because he did something bad to you, but he's not a bad guy. That being said, never did they expect him to be murdered and the consequences come from the series of events that they set up mm-hmm. and I think what you asking me well what do you get from this just like in Breaking Bad you see that Heisenberg moment with Walt or the moment with Jesse when he's done with it when a little kid gets shot on the motorcycle out in the desert mm-hmm. this moment is the same in Saul for Kim like Kim thought that this shit was fun and games, bro. Like she thought, oh, okay. Even when her mom came to pick her up in that prelog mm-hmm. with that necklace, are oh, there really no consequences for this shit? Is what she gets from. Mm-hmm. Try to steal something, call my mom on me. That really didn't mean nothing. I can play these games with Saul because hey man, we really ain't hurting nobody. Like nothing bad's really gonna happen. I can do this. I can get my little kink off. This this gets me off pulling these scams and shit but then when he comes in there and Lalo out of nowhere she should have first of all been been let Jimmy know that he was back Facts. but she didn't let Jimmy know that he back boom that's one consequence blowing up in your face like Sprite can that he was 20 and then the other one alright now that you got this man in here spilling his fucking guts for you what he think is the worst day of his life you think he gonna go home sleep that shit off and bounce back she even said you'll bounce back Howard nigga got murder because you out here playing so I know for a fact with how good they are as writers that we did get something from it and that's going to be the change in Kim's character like she ain't going to be able to hold this and I think that's going to go big to what happened to her like did she die did she leave is she with him in Nebraska at the undercover shit that we always see in the black and white like she wasn't in the breaking bad world and I think this is the reason why this particular, if you wanted to point to a reason, hey, why didn't Kim around for what happened with Saul later? Because Howard got killed because of this bullshit D-Day plan that she pulled off. That's why I liked it so much. I think that it was so much to it. And it did remind me of The Sopranos when like something would happen and it would be so much to it. Or Game of Thrones when something would happen and it would be so much to it other than what you're seeing on the screen or even what you've seen in this season like almost to pick up on it you gotta be vested in a vet just as much as they were in writing it 
Like it was some shit with Sopranos and Game of Thrones, and now just like with Saul, where if you were watching it from season one, it's some shit that didn't pay off until season four or five. Like, oh shit, I remember when that happened. And I think this was one of those moments. Okay. Well, first I off, you. I get it. I swayed you. Remember when talking. is the lowest form of conversation, <laughs> first off. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, uh, nah, you you sold it. Um, only thing I it's a simple question. Mm-hmm. You have to use did you have to use the whole first half of the season? And then at that, did you have to use this last season to do that? Like with a, with a character, I, I think that's a contractual thing. Same thing with Ozark and why they took a fall for it. it was just yeah. Trying but to get but, more money, it, but look, this is my point. I'm not mad about the approach at all. Yeah, I just think that sequence sequencing sequencing of it for me is where I have a little issue. Mm. And that reason that is is because you all you spent seven episodes setting up a con. I get it. The details. I get it. Slow walk it. I get it. But niggas really want to know how did he get to Breaking Bad? So you have to now use the back half of the season to take us into that po- that portion. True. I think and, that's good, though. I think you've heard the story about the gun in Walt's car, right? The trunk. The gun? Yeah, you remember when they did that flash forward and Walt went to go buy that gun that he used at the end mm-hmm. to shoot up. You Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. He showed it and it went off and you was like, what the fuck Walt finna do with that gun? Do you remember that? You talking about the very end of Breaking Bad? Yeah, he used the gun at the very end, but do you remember how, you know how they do the cold openings and yeah, the cold openings, they'll yeah. show stuff that happens and then you're like, you have no context for what happens. Mm-hmm. They did it once and Walt went and bought a gun and he had a big ass that big ass gun that he used at the end yeah i remember hearing that story yeah yeah he went and bought that so my point is with the writers they said that when they wrote that they didn't know what they were going to do with they just Mm -hmm. thought it would be cool Mm -hmm. they just thought that okay well what if walt goes by a gun what are we gonna do with the gun i don't know yet let's just put the gun in there i think that that's dope and it puts the pressure on them to be better Mm-hmm. Be creative if you write yourself into a, a up write yourself up against the wall is what they call it per se, and now we have to really figure out and can't take the snowfall route and throw a tiger in a fucking cage. Yeah, how are we going to get out of? How are we going to write ourselves out of this? I like right. that. I do too. And for me, a person that has wrote three seasons of my show, I do like write writing yourself into a wall or whatever, and then remembering certain elements like oh. Because it's the, it's a beautiful thing when things actually come together. So I do like this season. I'm I'm not mad at it. I just think that for me, you don't. I don't like spending seven episodes to set up one scam. I don't like that. It's like a chick keep keep getting you about there. You about to get you know you about to come. You about to finish the job, and then you keep stopping. And you you did that seven times, and then you finally say, okay, I'm gonna go. Now you playing too much. All right, I'm gonna go ahead. And then, you, and then when you finally get there, it's like. Okay, it was cool. It wasn't. I thought it was, the build up was there. I thought it was gonna be, you know, quite the impact, but it was cool. 